0: Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted to welcome Beatrice Gonzalez today. Beatrice works for Zine in Germany and has been collaborating with a bunch of my colleagues uh, and our friends at IAAP on some of the work to internationalize the uh, certifications around uh, accessibility amongst other things. So you're doing a load of stuff. So Beatrice, great to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to work in accessibility, inside leg measurements, all of that kind of stuff? Welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me, first of all. So, as Neil mentioned, my name is uh, Beatriz González-Meglídez, and my English speaker friends call me B, to make it easier. So, I'm a principal product designer at Sinesrata. In German, it's pronounced Zina Schada, uh, and this is one of Accenture's interactive creative studios in Germany. So, how I started in accessibility? Um, Well, kind of, it kind of always was a given for me. Uh, I started building websites when I was 17, and soon after, uh, there was a a possibility to take a sign language class in Spain when I was living in Malaga, and uh, I always loved languages, so I thought it was really cool to be able to communicate with your hands. That's something we Spanish people do a lot, like Italian and Portuguese probably. And uh, I thought it was kind of a, a sort of secret superpower. So uh, I studied in the States uh, one year as an exchange student, uh, media, new media and interaction design. And um, my first year of experiences, I learned about usability uh, at work. So uh, I completed an accessibility and usability of web contents program uh, at the University in Madrid. And so back then in Spain, it was a long time ago, uh, I really learned that there is no such thing as usability without accessibility. So I learned this this lesson well. and I did interaction design, accessibility, usability, then came user experience, then came universal design, then design for all, inclusive design, design thinking, design sprints, design service design. So gamification, Lego series play and all that stuff. And I like to learn new stuff. So uh, right now, the latest thing is sustain, uh, sustainable UX, which I'm, <laughs> I, always, I also got involved. And yeah. Uh, all in all, these methodologies and approaches uh, for me are just one thing, solving problems, providing enjoyable experiences for the widest audiences possible. So when I explain to people who don't know what, what all these names are, I usually say that I make people happy. And that involves everyone so that there's no frustration and they, they can achieve their goals with ease.
0: I love that. I, making people happy. That's wonderful. So. Um you listed so many different methodologies, but ultimately it comes down to not maybe well. I mean, at, at the base level, it's not making people miserable and it's not excluding them, but, but I would hope that, that really good UX does, does make people happy. Um, so what prompted you to um, land in Germany and... Um, start working in in ux in 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 germany uh, because there's definitely a a passion for um inclusion in germany but it's it's very different kind of culture than than in spain and different again from uk and us and this is something that we're really super interested in on on access chat is Is the cultural differences and also making sure that that the voices of different countries get included when we're talking about inclusion.
1: So I actually came in a sabbatical year and for me doing nothing was too boring. So I thought learning German was hard enough. I did four months of German. That was not enough. Super intensive course, five days a week, five hours a day. And so I I decided to stay a bit longer. I finished up to C1 level. And after that, I I thought that going back to Spain, it would be a loss of my last year of time learning German. So I decided to look for a job in Germany. So I I was looking for something on the sort of usability and, and user experience, even if it was not a name back then. And the only thing I found was either developer or Um, graphic designer so um, and uh, there was more money in web development uh, and I went that way (laughs) the dark path (laughs) and uh, um, I always got a bit of like web development plus usability plus user experience so I I was not doing 100% development I guess uh, in my in my career I am a bit of a mixed hard to label person so I was a front-end developer, but I didn't really feel like a developer. I've been a designer, and I never really felt like a designer. And uh, right now, I'm, I'm pivoting towards uh, more accessibility, and I also don't feel like I am entitled to, to, to talk about the topic because there are so many people out there who know much more and have more live experiences than I do. So, yeah, I came to learn German. I decided to stay. That was 11 years ago. It was hard to go out of the development role because apparently I was a good front-end developer and people didn't think that if you're a good developer, you can be a good UX person or a good designer. So I found uh, an American company who gave me a chance as a senior user experience architect, that's Vega Systems. And I work as a consultant um, uh, with them across Europe and I also work with some countries in the States and Australia and uh, across uh, Southeast Asia. And I work, I think, in, in four different languages and uh, across more than 10 countries in my, my years there. And then I moved to, to Sineshada, Sineshada and uh, I, my role there is a principal. Uh, so um, we are like a, a, a calm profile. So we know in de- in w- w- with uh, certain different topics and then we go in depth in several areas. So a senior usually goes in one topic in depth, but a principal can do more than one. And I guess my topics would be accessibility, uh, inclusive design, and cross-cultural design. Everybody, I
0: think you might be on mute.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, hopefully, I'm not on mute, but um, w- welcome. Welcome to the program, Beatrice. I, I think that what's so interesting about your work is how it, and people like you are the reasons why so much change is happening. So I like that you're giving back to make sure that we can all be successful with accessibility. So, but I, I'm curious how um, somebody starts down the path that you started down. I mean, why was this important to you? It's, you know, it, it's, it, it's really amazing all that you're doing. But, you know, I was just wondering if you'd explore that a little bit.
1: So, um, like I said, I, I learned usability and user experience together with accessibility. So I always, if, if, even if that was not part of the requirements with my customers and my projects, I always baked it in. Wow. And uh, sometimes um, I try to sell it. And if I found some resistance, I did it anyhow. It was part of the package you got with oh. me. <laughs> and
2: I did asked, give you a hard time doing that though, because I, I have found, um, I've had comments um, like, uh, well, your website isn't accessible. It's not. Well, you can get on at any time. No, it's accessibility. Um, and, but then they'll say, Oh, well, Oh, if you want to include people with disabilities, we'll let you do it for free. It's like, what no who are you yeah so i it's interesting that you said well i'm gonna do it anyway because it's the right thing to do as a designer because i don't see everybody doing that and of course sometimes you can't do it for example i i'm not going to mention the company but i trained a very large telecommunications company and um in the united states and we were training the creators the designers the programmers for example the content people and um Um, they all sometimes seem to know a lot about accessibility. And so I ask on break, I said, you'll know this. In some cases, they knew ARIA better than I do because, you know, but it was um, they said because our company doesn't appreciate it when we just do it. They don't want you to take those extra steps. So they actually would get in trouble if they did what you did. Um, which is ridiculous because it's making it a better product. So I was just curious, as you're showing, which we really appreciate this leadership. You know how were people reacting,
1: or maybe they were reacting like, "That's great if I don't have to pay for it." I think the second approach was like, if it's for free, you can you can give it to me. The what you mean is like, you know, the burnt out of the accessibility. Um, expert and aficionado. <laughs> so I guess that there's a, a point to that and um, so what I've done to that um, to, to relieve a bit a bit of the of the friction there. Okay. So I've uh, tried to network within the company and try to find for uh, stakeholders who would support it. So the example within a, um, um, within Zinesrata and the bigger company Accenture worldwide uh, I started a team's uh, group. And I call it the Digital Accessibility Initiative. And I just uh, Googled our intranet, looking for the keyword accessibility, inclusion, inclusive design, and things like that. And I started inviting people over. It's like, hey, chatting over Teams, what do you think? Would you be interested? I didn't find almost anybody there. So I went to LinkedIn. And then I did another search with all those keywords, and I was just pinging people from the internal uh, um, Teams chat, saying, "Hey, I saw you're interested in this. I saw your LinkedIn. Would you be interested? I think we're all very isolated, and sometimes we feel very, very lonely. So we need some type of push and connection, and to see that we are not alone, because that's." <laughs> A very important thing I would say, and uh, as I started all this during the pandemic, because I, I realized like um, all my colleagues, we have a skill group within CNS, rather than we've run since, uh, since I joined. Uh, some colleagues have started a couple of months before I joined. And um, people were a bit, not desperate, but like a bit, you know, it's like, oh, what are we doing? Nobody appreciates what we do and things like that. So I was like, okay let's make this bigger. And then, so I got enough people across, like I think it was long, this first six months, we were more than 200 people from States to New Zealand. And with all this data, I also did some surveys, uh, trying to find out the project's accessibility uh, state. So I sent it to all the project leaders and within my company to find out the state of their projects and the customers if they had some accessibility contact, if they had some requirements, uh, in which countries they worked for, uh, which are the the customers type, like if they were for government or if they were for telecommunications, or what type of uh, things they had included. And with these results, uh, I, I went to our C level and say, hey, we have. This is our data. We have these holes. Let's fix it and, and, and change a bit of, of our methodology to, to, to move forward. There's also uh, um, a hole in uh, training. So uh, I got I asked for for um, budget to buy some DQ licenses uh, so people could learn on their, at their own pace. And they didn't have to. It, it shouldn't interfere too much with their daily work because everyone was very, very stressed out with, with regular work. And uh, I asked for a certain budget and they uh, gave me more than I asked for. So that was a great feedback. Yeah. And that shows what one person can do. One
2: person can do to change a a company as, you know, an organization as big as Accenture, who has been very committed to our community. So we appreciate what Accenture has done. Back to you, Neil, or Antonio, I, I might want to turn the microphone over to you when you're ready.
3: So, uh, get this, no germany is one of the countries in europe with one of the uh, elder oldest population so uh, it's 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 quite uh, a problem in germany and uh, at the same time you you were mentioning the fact that uh the, the idea of accessibility you know it, it, it's something that sometimes people struggle to to understand as working uh, in what type of changes have you observed in the last, in, in this post pandemic area uh, that can be we can consider positive in terms of uh, awareness of the, of the positive impact of creating uh, products or designing websites or designing products that are more accessible?
1: Uh, I actually can give you an example before the pandemic. So uh, in my company, we have several uh, automotive customers. And when I brought the topic, hey, uh, we should be doing uh, accessibility, the the, the reply from the customer and my colleagues was like, hey, blind people don't drive cars. So uh, I prepared a workshop talking about um, design thinking. You know, sometimes if they hear accessibility, they just block. But uh, if you talk about design thinking or some other keywords, and these uh, bingo buzzwords uh, that are fancy at the moment, they will... uh, be more ready to, to listen. So, uh, I did a workshop talking about designing for the extremes. So, uh, I also did a, a talk at the Accessibility Club in, in Munich, and I'm going to repeat this several years after uh, the Open University in, in next December. And um, so, what I presented was uh, a person who commutes daily. He was a, a white guy driving a very expensive car, you know, like to make it representative and uh, you know, to touch the points where, where people would listen. And uh, he was driving whole, his whole day working from one customer to the other one. He was getting emails. He was getting information and he was in the car. So the only way to access this information was by using Siri or Google or some type of voice assistant and to get the screen reader to read it out loud. So he could get all his emails read out loud and he could surf and find his next uh Amazing, most ex- expensive car in, in the line by uh, telling his phone, which, which was connected to the car's audio system, to find what was the next new thing within this brand. So I tried to, you know, like, adapt. It's like, okay, you say blind people don't drive car. Here you have an example. This is one of your users. He's blind. Not just that. He also has dexterity issues because his hands has to be on the wheel. He's got attention span reduced because he needs to be paying attention to the cars, to the traffic and to everything else. So he's he do not have his full attention. And uh, so I was trying to bring down all the possible uh, disabilities that I could join in just one person that they knew as a person that was their customer. And uh, they just got defenseless. I was like, okay, now you get our attention. Let's talk more about this. And that was one of the tricks, uh, dirty tricks that, that I used.
0: We, we like dirty tricks. So, so, so that's fantastic. And and by the way, uh, certainly I have a friend, um, a lady called Sandy Wassman. She does buy cars. She's blind. And, and, and the point is that actually, there, certainly in the UK, there are allowances, mobility allowances. So if you don't make your website accessible for people who are blind, they're not going to use their mobility allowance to buy your car.
1: That's the same yes. in Spain. So yes. I got a, one of my colleagues in Accenture. Um, uh, he, Mafud, he is uh, blind, and he says his whole family buys cars through him because he gets this money from the government. And of course, he doesn't drive it himself. But he likes his car, even if he's sitting in another seat, not in the driving wheel. He likes his car to have certain qualities. So he's the one who finds the car that he wants to drive.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And and to say that, um, yeah
1: he wants to be driven sorry
0: yeah exactly but i mean but but it's, but it's essentially it's quite interesting i i once you know i was friends with the chairman of the the rnamb which is the british blind charity and i i picked him up from various different points around for meetings and so on and he would always comment on the car without you know he'd go oh new car um you know, not seeing it, but just being able to smell the interior, the touch, the feels, the sounds, and everything else. So, so aesthetics go beyond just vision on these things. So, so I think that what you did in 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 distilling down all of those disabilities into one customer was was great. But but actually, yeah, they do actually still have, you know, they don't understand that they have customers that with with disabilities too, and that there are these scenarios where. Where they are actually losing d- direct revenue as well as indirect revenue, so so that's great. I know you're you know we touched on it already about linguistics and so on. You're super interested in in this area um you've contributed to the the sort of localization of standards, et cetera. We're interested in this too, but but I mean, what what? <laughs> What are the gaps that you see and that you think that we need to address as a sort of accessibility community? Because it's, it's very English-centric. You know, the, 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 the UK and the, the, the US think we know everything. So, <laughs> so, so, so what are the things that, that, from outside of our little bubble, that you see that you think we could learn, and what, what also needs translating? So
1: um, I'm the typical user of hell for this use case. So I have a German physical laptop with a German keyboard that I have configured to the Spanish keyboard because in the Spanish keyboard, I can do all the German letters, specials and all the English ones. And I have English software, US American software. And um, the dates, so I come from Spain, but we do dates. We do day, so DD slash MM month slash year. In Germany, they do dots instead of slashes. And, you know, in the States, they do first the month slash, then the, so first the, uh, the month slash day slash year. And I know because of some friends in, in Japan, they do year, month, and day. So uh, one thing I always pay very much attention is to, to forms to make sure that they are um, flexible enough so that the user doesn't have the whole cognitive load to try to figure out what a damn format the thing needs. On that sense of uh, not just for inputs, I always pay a lot of attention that has to do with link with uh, accessibility, that it would be, for example, the input types. So if you have an input type date or if you have an input type email, if you have an input type um, telephone number or numbers, percentages and all those types of of inputs, types in HTML that you have available out of the box and you don't have to program all the stuff with JavaScript, because also when you're on a mobile device or if you're using some type of other interface, the keyboard adapts and you have a better access to, to the information. And um, the drop for example, one thing that bugs me a lot is the, the, the choose your country drop down. That's a no go for me because I come from Spain. So Spain is written with. ES, so it's Espanol, some some places the browser translates to your own language, to the browser languages, sometimes to the interface languages, and it's a bit of a pain. And the same happens with Germany. So sometimes it comes as Deutschland, sometimes it comes as Germany. And if I happen to be in a Spanish website booking something, then sometimes it comes as Alemania, which starts with A. So I start moving my fingers up and down, mostly if you're in mobile, and it's like, okay, which letters should I search? So I would, uh, in this case, I always recommend to like to do, you know, type something and let people search for whatever they need. Yeah.
0: Because so this is a no-go. I feel your pain because um, I'm in the United Kingdom and the scroll wheel only goes one way. So I'm doing this for five minutes before I can get. And you get sore pain, right? So, uh, you don't uh, feel
1: your fingers anymore at the end. Yeah,
0: it, it, it's horrible, you know, and, and, and you know. Obviously, there's a bias because although, you know, both Deborahs and my native countries begin with a U, Deborahs is at the top. They rule the world. As, the as it should be, as
2: it yeah. should be. And we're number yeah. one on yeah. the telephone list. We're 001.
3: Yeah. So that's true.
1: everybody needs to remember. That's one. another one. Sometimes <laughs> you have to enter the, the number number of your country uh, prefix sometimes it allows to type and some it's like what do you want I just want to put my phone number do everything on the back end why should I try to figure out what you your back end system that is maybe 20 years old wants me to write instead of you doing the work
0: yeah no I know we should take away the work from the users I'm just I was smirking when you were talking about the form (laughs) and the dates because we we have or used to have a Terrible Excel form within our organization that would be really horribly inflexible. So you could only put in the date with day, day, slash, month, month, slash, year, 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 year. And if you put in the dots, if you put in that date with dots, it would refuse it. It would just go invalid, right? Once you pressed enter, it would then Save the form as day day dot month Slash. month dot year year.
1: <laughs> I had a requirement to
0: fail one. me as to how <laughs> <for
1: non-training laughs> that is. And then I didn't the did what you wanted, but you didn't know you had to struggle with it,
0: right? Well, no, because because essentially, but they want the form to save. In the format that you naturally would put it in, but they're refusing to allow you to enter it in that format. It converts it to that format after they force you to use a different one.
1: Boom.
0: Yeah. Who thought of that?
1: I actually had working with with Pega. We were doing a a new insurance product, and uh, I was interviewing all the uh, people in the call centers, and uh, that way we figure out that they have hard requirements to enter the dates. Without dots. Because, like, if you see the German keyboard, the number, the numpad, so you have a comma because our decimals go with commas mm-hmm. and you don't have the dot for the date. So, in order to, use the, the, to do a date with a dot, they had to do the keyboard of the numbers with one hand and use the other hand to put the dot. So, it was disrupting their work. So, uh, we had to figure out a, a form so that they put the format without just day, uh, uh, day. M M and then year, year, year. So then it would turn and put the dots afterwards because they said if you don't give us this, we're not gonna buy your software. And I was like, great, now we know. <laughs> so it was good that we found out at the beginning and not at the end. That was a really good win for for our team. And and it is is they didn't talk about disability. They didn't talk about uh, any special needs or anything like that. They just say this is how it is. Everyone does it like that. But it's also an accessibility requirement for them. Even if they didn't know about that accessibility or anything like that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you're removing the likelihood that they're going to get some kind of um, errors, not just errors, but actually injuries. The more keyboard movements you're making, the more difficult you're making it for people to to enter the stuff, and 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 let's face it, the the kind of people in call centres are doing really repetitive work. Yeah, you're, you're you're likely to to end up with work you know work related sort of strain injuries to your your, your hands and carpal oh, tunnel and all this kind of stuff. So, so there are, you know there are actually you know physical injuries that are caused by poor design, even in the digital world.
2: You know, Accessibility says. The Carpal Tunnel is a great example. Yeah. Yes, accessibility saves lives. Yes, it does, and it includes lives. Yes. However, how would you like to be excluded? Whoever you are right now, Liz, how would you like to be excluded? How would you like to get in an accident and now you're in a wheelchair? And first thing you got to deal with is how inaccessible society is. So uh, we need heroes like you, Beatrix.
1: Now you remind me of the Microsoft included design guidelines. I I always use that because uh, it's so obvious that you have uh, permanent, temporary, and situational scenarios. Like uh, even if you're not disabled today, you're only permanently, uh, you're only um, temporarily abled because you can be disabled by your environment at one point or another. You're traveling with your suitcase and the elevator and the escalator doesn't work. And you have to drag all your stuff around when you're going to a conference or you're holding uh, a baby or a big beer, you know, if you don't like babies. So what? there's always something. <laughs> Neil, I see you like that example.
0: I was just thinking, too many beers, you might end up with more babies. You never know.
1: Oh, there, yeah, Oktoberfest—that is uh, the number one baby boom in Germany, I would say. Yes. <laughs> that and, and Carnival in Cologne. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, no. So I mean, you're thinking of those alternative use cases. I mean, we've got a good use uh, alternative, you know situational disability use case for speech recognition where um, it's being used in nuclear facilities because you can't type with a hazmat suit on.
3: <sighs>
0: <laughs> so, so um, you know, uh, we, we've been deploying speech recognition inside of reactors. Wow. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so I'm hoping that we'll get to do a proper case study on that. Because I think it be—it's a really nice one. It's like, yeah. So you're situationally disabled because, you know, what you would be irradiated should you wish to take. So Neil, um, yeah, but you're—you're talking. Uh, you are bringing
3: a, a topic that ties well with what we're talking about: culture, language. Yeah. So, you no, know, if you are an English-speaking person, you benefit from all the tools work in terms of, of speech. Uh, to text and text-to-speech, they work very well in English. Yes. They work very poorly in any other language. And if you are talking about minority language, they don't work at all.
0: Yeah. No, I, I ag- agree. I think that it's... Um, maybe let be uh, talk a bit about, about this, because you'll be trying it out in Spanish and German and, and so on. I would have thought that that, that <laughs> Spanish has had at least some love from the speech recognition.
1: company. And I, I always so I have an Echo at home and Alexa, and I have Siri turned off because it bothers me a lot. I, I need to try again and give it another shot. <laughs> but um, my Alexa, if I try to make it play a song in Spanish. I need to pronounce this as if I were spoken in Germany, or like if I'm if I, if I have it said to Germany, I need to to move my mouth in a weird form to pronounce the foreign speaking languages. Like if it was in the other language, it's like, come on. If I set you up in English, you understand the English words. If I set you up in German, you understand the German words. If I set you up in I don't know if it's Spanish already. I think it's uh, like since last year, uh, Amazon uh, Alexa is an Echo are available in Spanish. I need to understand Spanish. But if you get the mix then you have the problem like it, it goes wild and it doesn't know where to get the data from uh, I have the autocorrect and so this typical hashtag dummy autocorrect when I I have the uh, sometimes the German keyboard and sometimes the Spanish keyboard and I type in any language depending on who I talk to in WhatsApp, uh, iMessage, whatever and I get some amazingly funny autocorrections mm-hmm. because it makes all the languages and it's like come on you should be able to intelligently find out if I'm talking in one language or another. There's like certain cues that after the, four words, uh, the, the fourth word that I'm typing down, you should be able to recognize that it's one language or another. And it doesn't work. We're not there yet.
0: No, no. So so likewise, I mean, I, I have seen, you know, vast improvement in minority language recognition. Um, it's got a lot better because my wife's Thai. And so, you know, that's not a language that would have had a lot of, you know investment over you know certainly compared to english or spanish in terms of speech recognition but now she uses speech recognition all the time in in time but, wow. but siri hates her in english <laughs> right? because she's not a native speaker and, and 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 it doesn't cope very well with non-native accents so it's there's, there's still definitely work to do there. And I know Google have been working up with things like Project Euphonia and, and looking at sort of speech impediments and so on. So it will get better. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, for sure, it's not there yet. And to take on your point about the language stuff, I work really closely with a German colleague located in France. And we quite often collaborate on documents, and we've got that same thing going on where you've got a mixture of keyboard languages and local languages and everything else. And I, you know, I'm dyslexic. Like I rely on spell check. Every time that she logs in and starts <laughs> using the PowerPoint that I've created, it switches the language, and suddenly everything has the squiggly red line on it. So, so essentially, you, you disable spell check for everybody once you start sharing internationally, because it becomes useless.
1: Yeah, I have to put it every time I I edit a certain um, paragraph, I need to go to the tools and change the language. So uh, now you're talking about that in Spanish. You know, my name is not that English friendly. So um, my iPhone right now, it it translates. When I type Beatriz, Beatriz with a Z or Z in the US at the end, it changes it with an X. So it says Beatrix. And I think that's the the Dutch version. So I always have a lot of struggles with my name. Um, I have two family names, the first of my father first, González, and the first of my mother second, that is Melides. And um, when I try to fill a form, sometimes they only accept one surname and no spaces. So I don't have a dash. I don't have any other, they're not together. They are one surname, space, a second surname. And it doesn't accept my language. I read in Twitter some there was there were some uh, threads about um, cultural aggression. Like there was one person who was called Joe, Yao. That's it. And it's yeah. like no, you can't. Your name is not allowed. You need to input at least three characters. It's like come on. And then there were some. Uh, I don't remember the name uh, right now. I think it was a very common Chinese familial name. Like in Spain it would be González, or in uh, Sweden it could be Joh- Johan Johansson. So it was like a very very common and it was not allowed. So there's also some names that if you translate it to English, they can sound like curse words. So they're also not allowed. And oh. it's like, come on, that is my name. How? Who are you to say my name is not allowed? So when yeah. I when I fly, I usually, I never know what name I input. So uh, my name has, we call it Tildes. I think it, in, in English you call it accents. So it has a little yes. like line on the top of the A and the, on the uh, I in Melides. So both of them have, have one of those those symbols are not allowed. And then sometimes I put it without the tildes. I guess Antonio is is laughing because I guess the the, the deal in in Portuguese could be probably the same. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes I put it to no space. I put González together, sometimes without accents. Then it tells me, no, but it's too long. You're not allowed to enter such a name so long. So then I have to, okay, I go for González, And, uh, you know, I have to try out until the system allows me to enter my name in the way they like it it's like why well, your
2: parents should have given you a better name that worked with the system yeah it's all my parents fault right it always oh, goes do. back to the probably my mother system. it's always the
1: mother's fault
2: right and it's always it's insulting to the latin community as well it, it, and it's that you're not the only community that uses different names but it's it's such a, a very important thing that I haven't thought about in the way you're presenting it. I, I mean, as soon as you, as you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah. But it shows the just the nuance of the problems. It's really nuanced. That it's a huge problem if you think about. It. I know. Mean, I, I we were te- we were you know teasing before we got online, but uh, but it, well, and I think we did it too about online where we were talking about how America's number one, which everybody knows that. Just kidding. <laughs> I was talking to somebody from Canada the other day and I said, well, you're an American. And she's like, oh, no, 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 I, I'm Canadian. I said, well, you're actually part of North America, but we just hijacked the American name. But, uh, but it's just interesting because there's so many moving parts to this and it really dives into identity. Is it You know, because I now that I've been doing this, what we've been doing this eight years now. In our eighth year, yes. In, In our eighth year. And I've learned so much as an American doing this talk because there are things like, I remember the first time I heard um, somebody complain about the United States being the first in the line. I've never thought about it. It's, I always thought it's very comfortable that mine right, is right there. And, and let me tell you, we complain because there's so many that aren't doing that now because it's stupid. But regardless, we're like, oh my God, I actually am going to have to go down the list. It's just, but the first person that, you know, complained to me about it or was making fun of us about it was, um, a gentleman, I think from Spain, of course, cause they're so smart too. And he was like, you Americans are so, and I had never thought about it because it's just something we always knew. And I've heard Antonio and Neil make comments about technology companies in the United States, Um, a lot of the social media companies are in the United States and the preference that they show Americans. And I was like, at first when they said it, I was like, oh, that's not that. Oh, 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 okay. You're right. That is happening. And now that I know it, I can't unknow it. And I really want to call BS on all uh, Americans because we are one country, part of a beautiful world, and
1: we need to join it, including honoring your entire name. You're That's entitled. not the same. I'm going to tell you a, an example in Germany that happened to me a couple of months ago. So my Krankenkasse, my social insurance, my social security. Um, I'm a, I'm I've been a member for the last ten years. I've been paying regularly, so they got my money. There was no problem on that. And I changed my phone, so I needed to identify myself in the app to make sure that my health data was protected and stuff. So uh, I tried to get recognized. I've done it over the the, the computer several times with different systems in Germany. Like there's like post identification and then you get to a post person, they make a video, you show them your ID and it works. In this way, my my company for insurance, they had uh, bought a system and they only gave the system the possibility to identify with a German ID or with an official German ID for people who are not German. The thing is, I am European. I don't need any of those documents. I have my Spanish ID. I have my passport. It didn't allow me to register with my passport. It didn't allow me to register with my Spanish ID. So they told me after several months back and forth, a Twitter shitstorm and more questions. And they they told me in the middle of the pandemic, no, you have to come to one of our locations and show your face so that we can identify it is you. Oh my God. So that was last year. I haven't done it yet. Well, yeah. It's like and, and the, the company who sold them this identification system said, we accept passports, we af- accept Spanish IDs and all sorts of IDs. It's just the customer who hasn't required that. So the problem is not U.S. or German. It's like if you have teams that are not inclusive, you don't have people with different backgrounds, different abilities, different experiences, you don't see that. And if you don't do a proper research with including people who know what they're talking about. It's not people who fake that they know what they're talking about. People who actually know because they experience themselves. Then you don't know. You only know what you know. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, your work is amazing. I'm so impressed with
2: where you've taken the work. Because this is, the the, and you know what, I I know that um, we never thought that Access Chat was going to, we were going to work ourselves out of a volunteer job since we volunteer for this. But because how many time, how many topics can you do on this? Well, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it just... What you brought up during um, this interview, it, it was it was brilliant because it just continues to show us the problems. And thank goodness we have people like you leading the way. Neil always seems to find the smartest people. I'm like, wow,
1: I'm impressed. So. Yeah, the NCSA system, we're all linked. We all belong to really? the same thing. And it's not just accessibility isolated. It's not silos. There's always a connection.
0: Yeah. Yes, well,
1: yes, I agree.
0: I agree. That's what that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to break down the silos, make those connections. We've overrun. There's a surprise. Um, so great, great chat today. I need to thank our supporters, Barclays Access, Microlink, MyClearText for keeping us on air, captioned, and, and you know, fed and watered, and the electric on. Uh, so thank you all for being supporters over goodness knows how many years. And and, and Britrice, thank you. We'll look forward to you joining us on Twitter on Tuesday. Looking forward to it.